0: It's good to be back. Uh, Glad to be back with you. We were on a family vacation for the last two weeks before this out out west. And uh, saw the Grand Canyon, spent some time in... uh, If you ever get a chance to go to see Arches National Park, uh, make time for that. It's just a fantastic place. And uh, enjoy that and think about the the creator that's responsible for all that. We enjoyed our time there. We enjoyed uh, following along with uh, worship here, hearing Pastor Nick's. Uh, two very good messages uh, on Balaam and episodes that were happening there. And it was kind of interesting because Balaam, uh, during that time, he's trying to be recruited by uh, Balak, the king of Moab, and all these things going on with, uh, with, with Moab. And while we're uh, watching that on video, we happen to be in Moab, Utah. So <laughs> a little bit surreal. Uh, but there's going to be more on Moab today. And I'll tell you this, there are some Old Testament stories that would make terrible flannel graph presentations for kids. Okay, you're going to see in a little bit, like, yeah, this would, this would not be uh, the best uh, flannel graph for kids. Um, but it's important for us, because this is the history of Scripture, what happened. These are important details, and we know that these things were written down for our instruction. We need to learn from these examples, the positive and the negative examples. And these things need to speak to us uh, today. And so we're we're glad that we have this, and this is definitely not a boring passage of Scripture. I'll I'll tell you that up front. So Numbers chapter 25, as we're working through that, and in this beginning section, the first paragraph, uh, we'll see that the Israelites were seduced into unfaithfully joining themselves to the false god Baal. So some say Baal. It looks to me like in Hebrew it would be Baal, uh, potato, potato, whatever you want. Don't worship him, okay? It's the main point here. So let's read here Numbers 25. I'll bring this up on the screen for you. While Israel lived in... Okay, is there a volunteer that would like to read scripture this morning? (laughs) Anyone else? I feel I'm always doing it. Maybe we could spread it around a little bit. Okay, so we got the next word here coming up. They lived in this this land. I showed this to one of my sons and said, when I was reading this last week, I said, look at what I got to read to the congregation, and he just laughed at me and said, good luck, dad. (laughs) I tried to look it up in Hebrew, that maybe the Hebrew name, you know, I could you know pronounce it some fancy Hebrew way. The uh, you know when they lived in Shetchem. But as far as I can tell, um, they lived in Shittim. That's just, excuse my Hebrew, that's the name of this place that they're at. And I'll tell you two things. First of all, uh, this is actually not the most awkward thing that we're going to have to deal with in this message. So if you can believe that. Uh, But also, this is really important. This isn't just some random place. This really gives us the setting as far as where they're at and what's going on. Because uh, this, this place... Uh, was r- basically right across the Jordan River, okay, right t- to, the, to the east of the Jordan River, and if you cross that, you're going into the land of Canaan, to the promised land, and this is the land that they're supposed to go in and, and to conquer. And so being at this place, this was the last stop. This is their last encampment before this new generation uh, would very shortly uh, go into the promised land. The other side of the river, you have this place on one side. On the other side of the river, you have Jericho, Okay, so where they go and they, they launch their attack in the book of, book of Joshua. And there's a few things that have to happen but uh, before then. Uh, but really, a lot of numbers after this is some more law code. Uh, there, the book of Deuteronomy, which we'll do some messages from there, is kind of Moses' last words, his reminders to Israel, this new generation to remember God's law and his departing words. And then when Moses dies leadership gets handed over to, to Joshua, and they go into the land. So this is where they're at, and they're being called by God to to take this land, to drive out the, the wicked Canaanites, and this is, that's a big thing. God's going to be with them, but that's not going to be going very well if they are in rebellion and sin against God. And so it's important what happens here in, in this in this, uh, this chapter. So it tells us, while well, they lived in, in this place, uh, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. It's using strong language here to say what is going on. That you had these uh, the women of Moab that were making themselves available to the men of Israel. They're supposed to be in covenant relationship with God, following him faithfully. And they're enticing uh, these men uh, throughout Israel to... Uh, to, to, to sleep with them. and the ESV, it says to, to whore with. The King James says commit harlotry. The New International Version says to indulge in sexual immorality. So they're committing f- fornication. They're committing sexual sin here uh, with with these women being lured into this uh, by them. We to remind ourselves when it says the daughters of Moab, Moab is not a person. There's not a guy named Moab. This is the women from this land of Moab, uh, that was adversarial uh, to God. And we saw, if, if you were here for the last uh, two weeks, and if you missed that, you can go online and watch them, Pastor Nick's messages uh, with with Balaam. And the king of Moab had tried to get, he hired this this guy, Balaam, who's kind of this sleazy prophet for hire. And he wanted him to, to curse Israel because he realized he got this huge, massive... Uh, army of uh, Israelites, and they realized they couldn't take him in battle, so he's trying to get them to curse them. And so you have this going on, and that didn't work, but now they're being corrupted by, by these women that are making themselves available. And not only the sexual immorality, but we see what they're being led into through that, which is even more of a serious issue. And it says, these invited the people to sacrifice to their gods to do sacrifices, to these false gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. So these people are supposed to be getting ready, follow God, take this land and do these things. They fall into some really serious sin. And not just the sexual immorality, being unfaithful in that way, but also this this spiritual adultery that they're committing, going against the, the covenant God. Instead of being faithful to the true God that they were covenanted to. These people were uh, seduced into being yoked or, or joined with, joining themselves with this this false god, Baal. You know, think of what it says they did, sacrifices, bowing down to him, being yoked to him. That means to be joined or fastened to. Uh, we talk about being yoked. Uh, you would join two oxen together with a yoke to, to, to pull plows. I mean, this was something by doing this, they were you know, entering into to service for Baal through doing this. It was an incredibly serious thing. This is the first time in Scripture we see the record of the Israelites being lured into worship of Baal, this, this false god. And if you keep reading in the Old Testament, you're going to see this again and again. It becomes this really serious thing that people keep being tempted into. And I think uh, the name Baal literally meant owner, master, or lord, but he was this, this false god. And he, they worshipped him in some really wicked ways, too. I mean, there were sacrifices to him, which any type of sacrifice to a false god is, is wicked and evil and goes against God's command. Uh, but we know that there were even like human and infant sacrifices that took place. But also sexual immorality was a big part of this as well, uh, that they believed that Baal controlled fertility in th- agriculture, you know the rain and the crops and their animals and, and people reproducing and so in their in their twisted religion, they made it that uh, that supposedly to um, uh, have these illicit sexual relations with uh um, mobile women or, or prostitutes that this this pleased their God and you see how the that could be used. You know, to really entice people into this, to, to, to worship a false god, to, to get into this. We draw a few lessons from this so far. I think one of them, just kind of looking at basically what's going on, we see that the daughters of Moab use sexual immorality to seduce uh, the men of Israel into Baal worship. And how often it is the case that uh, the devil will use things that, that seem pleasurable, that seem good, to lure us into sin into a sin and then sometimes into even deeper and, and more, more terrible sins. Things that look good that seem like they'd be a, just a lot of fun on the surface. And you know that's why a lot of these Israelite guys are thinking that there's these, these beautiful women and they're um, offering to do this. And not only if they do this, it'll also make the rains come down and it'll be good for their, uh, the fertility of the land and all this. seems all good and spiritual and they're going to have their fun doing this as well this isn't the only time these type of thing, this type of thing has happened. You know, in the 70s, out of the, the hippie Jesus movement, uh, there was a cult founded by this guy named David Berg, uh, sometimes called Children of God or Family International, and they had an evangelism strategy that they would do that they called flirty fishing. And they would send women out from this cult, from the communes, to uh, to go into the, the bars and the nightclubs and to find guys and... Uh, kind of seduce them and offer to take them uh, you know, t- to bed with them and they would use this to, uh, to lure them into this, this cult. And I think we see kind of the same thing that's, that's going on here too using this uh, sexual immorality that was part of this Baal worship to kind of lure these people into this. And now it's not only that they're committing that sin but they're also joining themselves to Baal and, and getting involved with that as well. One sin leads to another. That's something we need to recognize. That sin doesn't like to stay isolated. It leads you to one thing, into deeper sins. And the devil will make sin fun. just need to be aware of that. He will try to make it I- enjoyable. He's not going to try and lure you to sin by saying, oh, we have this thing you can do, and this is going to be lots of uh, just hard work and self-denial and all of this. No, he'll, he'll make it enjoyable and lures people into it. Now he'll say, well, don't think about the consequences you know, don't don 't think about the curses and everything that comes you know kind of with this. just think about the the, the enjoyment about this and notice that well, it seems like everyone's doing this and seems seems to be a good thing. So they got led into these sins. We see there are severe penalties for these against the leaders in verse four uh, it said that the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, because the Lord's fierce anger. Now, we don't know uh, for these if they ended up uh, actually f- fulfilling this as they ought to, but the leaders were held extra accountable here for what was going on under their watch. That even if the leaders here weren't participating in this, they should have been keeping their people from doing this, and they were to be held accountable. And in verse 5, Moses says to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of of Peor. So we see that all of this, this was serious. This This was sexual and spiritual adultery against their covenant God. The God that had brought them out of Egypt, the God that had made covenant relation with them and they're sinning against them in whoring, not in, in just physically, but this is a spiritual act of betrayal against the God that was so faithful to them constantly, and they're being unfaithful to this God. You know, sometimes when people think about the Ten Commandments, I've read, well, when they've done s- surveys of Americans, like, which of the Ten Commandments do people think is most important? That, well, if people can even name all the Ten Commandments— But they will come back and say, uh, usually, they say, thou shall not kill is the most important. And obviously, you know, murder is a a big deal. But they'll rank the least important, the first commandment. That should be the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. But when we look at this passage, we're going to see that that first commandment is foundational to everything else. I mean, everything else uh, just It flows from that either for good or for bad whether you're making God your number one or you're or you're not doing that I mean the whole these there are other things that are that are bad to do but ultimately because we're made to worship to serve God and So when we're not doing that that is that is the there's a reason that that's the first commandment and yeah, so there's sexual immorality here, but it's leading to something that is that is even worse that's more serious is this spiritual adultery against God. I think it's also interesting, too, and that's why when we see this passage coming right after uh, the chapters that Pastor Nick preached on in previous weeks, we notice in those chapters, the king of Moab is trying to hire this guy, you know, Balaam, to curse Israel because he realized they are stronger than them militarily, and he's thinking we don't have the military might to defeat them, so instead we'll instead of military we'll use magic, and we'll hire this Balaam guy, this kind of prophet for hire, and you know pay him to uh, to curse uh, to curse Israel. Well, we saw last week that every time uh, Balaam goes to, to curse him, and said God made it so that only blessings came out instead. He's supposed to go curse, and instead bless, 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 and just reinforcing God's faithfulness uh, to Israel over and over again. But what Moab couldn't do through military or through magic, they end up doing, cursing them through morality or the lack of their immorality, causing curses and dysfunction. It's self-inflicted wounds. Now, Balaam could not bring curses upon Israel, but they bring curses upon themselves because of their unfaithfulness. They're bringing judgment upon themselves because of what they're choosing to do. And when we think about this, we can compare God's faithfulness with their unfaithfulness or, or our unfaithfulness too. I think of how many times, the whether you want to call them curses or the consequences that we have in our lives, are self-inflicted wounds because of choices that we've made where God has said, do, do this, and this will go better, this will please me, and we decide, no, I'm going to do this instead. So many things we have are, are these self-inflicted wounds. As I said, Moab didn't have success with military or magic, but they did have success here using the uh, mora- morality. And sometimes that goes, we find that in our personal lives, and I think we can see that in our country as well. I mean, we have a... Really good military, and there 's not a lot of countries out there that would dare to take us on militarily, um, probably not going to be defeated in that way anytime soon. But what are we doing to ourselves as a country morally? What are we doing to ourselves having this, this the rotten consequences from within self inflicted wound upon ourselves self inflicted wounds upon ourselves before I move on to, I just want to make this clear, and, and I know we had a message. Uh, several weeks ago where we talked about uh, Moses's wife, and we mentioned this, but I want to mention this again because uh, we talk about these, the Moabite women or these Midianite women and the commands to, to not uh, marry them or have relations with them. Sometimes that could be misconstrued as this is something racial, that it's against, you know, one race dating another race. And what we need to remember here is that this was ultimately not a racial thing. This was a religious thing. The problem with these women was not that they were from a different country. It's that they were worshiping a false demonic God. They weren't worshiping the true God. So they led him into sexual immorality, fornication, spiritual adultery, worship of Baal. But we think about this, and these, these are women from Moab, and they're, they're doing this. Uh, but if we read this now, you wouldn't know about these people didn't know about the book of Ruth that would be coming later after the, the book of Judges. And what a shock that would be. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, sometimes we just know it as this lovely love story and it doesn't come across as shocking to us. But Ruth is a woman from Moab. And the fact that this ends up being this beautiful love story that God approves of, uh, and her marrying into the nation of Israel. But the difference is she's not still worshiping these false gods. You read the book of Ruth, and she, she turns to worship the true God of the Bible. And therefore, it becomes this beautiful thing. And she becomes a, a, a great ancestor of even uh, Jesus Christ one day. So it's not about race. It's, it's, about, it's about religion. What God do you worship? And that's why it's so important. Who do you join yourself to? And I say this especially to, uh, to those here that are uh, looking for that special someone one day, uh, whether it's young people or, or others, just how important it is that you, if you join yourself to someone, you are joining yourself to someone that is going to worship the true God. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with dark? If you want to be joined to God, if he is your, your number one, if Jesus Christ is your love, you want to be joined together with someone else that has that same love for Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're going to be pulling in different directions, or they're going to be pulling you away from your true first love, which ought to be God, which ought to be Jesus Christ. Be careful who you join yourself with. You think, well, it won't happen to me. Probably these guys in Scripture didn't think that it was going to happen to them. But it went from one thing to another, and the next thing you know, they're bowing down and joining themselves to worship Baal, this false god. Well, you have these consequences that are given. We don't know to what extent they carried out the judgments. Uh, But there was some serious things going on. And uh, we move into the next section, and there's some things that just get even even worse, if you can believe that. So in the rest of this, we're going to see this guy Phineas responds with an act of faithful jealousy. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that, this act of faithful jealousy. So verse 6, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. So one of these foreign women. Now, just on the surface of this, okay, Scripture is not making this as graphic as it could be, but you can, because it's kind of explicit, and you can kind of read between the lines and say, oh, I think I know what's going on here. And their kids, so I'm not going to make it as explicit as it possibly could be. But when he says he brought this Midianite woman to his family, uh, this really doesn't mean that he just he brought this woman to, to meet Mom and Dad and to have a nice dinner. Uh, he was bringing her we're going to see in context, to engage in fornication and probably baal worship as part of that as well too. And we're going to see when well, we keep reading, this is in the midst of what all these things that are going on. This is a high-handed sin. This is a high-handed act of just defiance against Moses and against God and everyone else. Because look at it, it says he did this in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So you have people, they're, they're weeping over the sins, over the judgments, over the things that are going on. And so this guy comes in and we're, we know from later in the passage, his name is Zimri. And he's actually a kind of a high ranking guy in Israel. He's uh, the uh, chief of the Simeonites. And the woman's name is Cosby. And she is a daughter of the chief of Midian. So these two, Zimri and Cosby, they come in. You have all these people that are weeping about these, these sins. God, is this your judgment? And they just kind of come in. And he's got this woman who is a, a Midianite, worships Baal, and all this. And he says, Well, so what? You guys do this? Uh, we're, he marches her in. Everyone else probably when they're doing this, they're going out you know, to, to find these Midianite women. He brings her right in. Like he's showing this off. I mean, this is a high-handed sin of defiance. That he's going to sin this way and he is proud of it. He is okay that everyone knows about this, what, what he is going to do with this woman. So it's a really big deal. He brings her to their tent the word there for, uh, might actually be, have the indications that it has to do with religious worship as, as well. It says, so while well, the people are um, <coughs> weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then in verse 7 it says, When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it. So now we have this guy Phineas. And what's he going to do? Now, I need to clarify a few things, too, and some of these for some of the kids. Uh, this guy Phineas, the uh, kids, he does not have a brother named Ferb or a pet platypus. Okay, some of you know what I'm referring to. Uh, this guy, actually, he's the grandson of Aaron, who had been the high priest. So his dad is the high priest. Also, this is kind of interesting. We don't see this, but if you were a Hebrew and you read this, you would catch this. The name Phineas actually means dark-skinned one or black. And the reason for that, I mean, he was named that at birth um, because he had he had dark skin. We saw a few weeks ago Moses had married a, a Cushite woman, and this was from a region in Africa. Moses' at least his second wife was was a black woman, and so uh, this uh, Phineas is not a descendant of of Moses, uh, but because his name literally means uh, dark skin one or or black, uh, J Daniel Hayes. In his book on um, race from every people and nation, he writes, Phineas might very well have had a Cushite mother and therefore might have looked like a Cushite at birth, thus receiving his name. It is extremely probable that Phineas was at least half black. It's going kind to of be an interesting kind of detail here as we're going to see this, uh, uh, this guy Phineas and what he does and, and how God views what he did. Because it says here, and I told you, um, uh, (laughs) uh, this is not a boring passage. Says here, uh, when Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. What's he going to do with this? And went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. And thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nonetheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So Phineas took drastic action. And we're going to see a little bit what is God, how does he view this and what he did. Uh, But yeah, he basically here um, invented the human shish kebab. Okay, with these two people. And like I said, I will not make this as graphic as it could be, but if you read this and you think, hey, it kind of seems like uh, Phineas did this to them while they were, yeah, it seems that way. That's what's going on here. Like I said, not a great flannel graph presentation for the kids. <laughs> but this is, this is what's going on. Now we look and we see, well, what's, what's going on? How does God respond to this? Let's read the rest of the chapter. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, "...has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So God views what he did as, as something positive and he rewards him with a perpetual. He, he and his family are going to be priests uh, for, gen, for generations after this because of this. And Then in verse 14, it gives us some more details about uh, the man and woman that had committed this high handed act of sin. It says, the name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman. Uh, was Zimri, the son of Selu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. So he was kind of a high-ranking guy. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the son of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. So you have these high-ranking people, which is a lesson to us, too, that just because they had this high social standing, that didn't mean, we'll leave them alone, because they're pretty high-ranking, and, you know, we, we don't want to create waves with them. No, it didn't matter how high or low you are social standing. I mean, this this was sin, and because of the situation, really needed to be dealt with. 16, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, harass the Midianites. There was going to be judgment upon the Midianites because of this. And strike them down, for they harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Median, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. And if you uh, read ahead in Numbers and you get to Numbers chapter uh, 31, it talks about Israel taking military action and uh, there being retribution against them. Also in that chapter, Balaam meets his end as well. He's killed as, as part of that. That's what happens to him. The Lord approves of this. Now, I'll say this at the beginning. That doesn't mean that this is an example to follow in the details. Okay, you see people sinning. It doesn't mean you grab a spear and go vigilante. There are different circumstances that why this is okay, but there's some general principles. I think we need to respond from this. First, looking again, why was it the fact that God, um, what did he see in what Phineas did that he was happy about? If we look at the paragraph again, there's some really big clues. Because I noticed there's a word that's used four different times when he talks about that in verses 10 through 13. And maybe you caught this. But in 10 through 13, he uses the word jealous or jealousy four different times. And it's, it's straight out said that that's why God approves of what Phineas did. It says, in that he was jealous with my jealousy, So not only was it, in this sense, good that Phineas was jealous, he was jealous with a godly type of jealousy, a type of jealousy that God has. Wait, does that mean that God is jealous in a sense? Um, It looks that way. And it goes on. And because of this, I did not consume, destroy all the people of Israel in my jealousy. And at the end, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. This teaches us that there is a right kind of jealousy. And that can be kind of odd because usually we're used to thinking jealousy is a, is a negative thing. Jealousy is a bad thing. We think of it as like coveting. You know, kids are jealous because your brother has a toy that you want to have, so you're jealous of that. Or adults are coveting somebody else because that person has a nicer car and you want that car. Or you want that person's girlfriend or boyfriend or position. And that kind of jealousy, that kind of coveting, that's, that's a bad thing. But if the Bible says that God is a jealous God, he was jealous with my jealousy, that must mean that there's a type of jealousy that's godly. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, after giving the commandment, the first commandment, to, to worship God alone exclusively, and the second commandment, to not make uh, idols and to bow down to them, gives a reason. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And we think of jealousy, you know, the wrong type of jealousy is always about wanting something that isn't yours to have. But there's a right type of jealousy when there's something that is yours to have and you're to guard it and protect it. Yesterday was Hope and my uh, 22nd anniversary. So 22 years ago, uh, yesterday, I somehow tricked Hope into entering into a covenant relationship with me uh, that we promised before friends and family and the government and God that we were going to stick together until one of us died. Okay, that's the deal. And we were going to love and cherish each other Uh, and we as Christians also recognize this means that we were entering into callings that God had for us, that I as a husband am supposed to sacrificially love my wife as Christ loved the church, and that hope is supposed to uh, (coughs) respect and affirm my my leadership in the home and to uh, to honor me in that way, and we're all entering into part of this, but a big part of it also means that we are promising to be exclusive to one another, That by saying yes to each other, we're saying no to everyone else. That by saying yes to to hope, I'm saying no to every other woman. And that when I wear this ring in public, it means, you know, back away, ladies. Uh. (laughs) And that's what it's about. God enters into a covenant relationship with us, and it's meant to be an exclusive relationship. I should be, there's a right type of jealousy for a husband to have with his wife or a wife to have with her husband. Now, not a paranoid, weird, you know, psycho way that, okay. But it would be weird and wrong if Hope started dating a bunch of other guys and I was okay with it, okay? That would just not be right. Um, And if it was the other way around, theoretically speaking, too. There's a certain type of jealousy a protectiveness of what ought to be exclusive to you. God's glory is exclusive to him. He is not to share that glory with idols, with false gods. It's for him and for him alone to be glorified, to be worshiped. And that's what is good and is right. He alone deserves that worship. And it would not be good for People either. If he started spreading that around, saying, "Well, you know what? It's okay. I'll let you. You can worship Baal, and you can worship Satan, and you can worship uh, your false gods, and you know whatever you build in your garage, uh, worship those things too. It's okay." No, that, this, that would be bad. That would be detrimental. It's right for God to be jealous of this exclusive relationship. So we need to remember this. There's a right type of jealousy, Christian. This means that. Your relationship with God is not an open marriage. It's not meant to be something where you can come in one day and worship God on Sunday and you can be dating the world and dating all these other idols and false gods throughout the week. That your relationship with the covenant God is to be exclusive, to be exclusively devoted to Him. God is faithful, He's faithful to us. He is a God of covenant with you. We ought to be faithful to him. This passage also shows us that <clears throat> sin must be dealt with. And again, it doesn't mean that you should go around shishkebobbing people. Okay, these are very specific circumstances. Uh, you know, Phineas had a certain role as, uh, you know, the, the future high priest. They had specific commands from God. Okay, it's a different thing. But it does tell us that sin must be dealt with, and even today, when it's it's not dealt with, eventually it's going to be. God doesn't let sin slide forever. Eventually, consequences come, whether it's in this life or in the next. That sin must be dealt with, and it doesn't matter if you're from a prominent family, or you think, "Well, I got all this education, or I'm really important at my job, or whatever it is." You could be the you could think of yourself as the uh, princess of Middleville, okay. And it doesn't matter. Sin must be dealt with. We need to deal with it in our lives, to try and get sin out of our lives. And if you don't have a Savior, there's going to be consequences for sin. We also learn from this passage, therefore, that the wages of sin is death. What, it seems like this was a pretty serious thing. They got you know, ran through with a spear. and We think that's pretty extreme. No, the wages of sin is death. Scripture tells us that in the New Testament. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when it says the wages of sin are death, that means more than one thing. That is why you will die one day, unless the Lord comes back before that. But we're going to die. Our mortality is a consequence of sin. But also, because of sin, we come into this world spiritually dead, And because of that, if you die in that sin, it's eternal death after that. Eternal separation from God. That's hell. That's what that is. But this tells us the free gift of God. There's an opportunity for you to have life instead. And it's not just anywhere. It's not automatic. But it's found in Jesus Christ. And it's eternal life. If you turn to Jesus Christ as the one who died for you, who took what you and I deserve, And I think this passage, too, teaches us what we really do deserve. You could look at this and say, well, I'm glad I'm not a bad sinner like those people. They did some pretty bad things. And, well, let me ask you this. Who do you identify with more in this story? Like, well, I'm like, I'm like Phineas. I'm the righteous one, and I should go around executing judgment upon people. Or do you see yourself more in those that have fallen into sin and idolatry? and Zimri and Cosby Zimri and Cosby they were literally killed for their sin they were literally speared through for their sin their transgression what about us if you're not remember it's because Jesus was pierced for our transgressions Zimmer and Cosby were literally pierced for their transgressions, and that's what we deserve as well too. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. A few hundred years after this, the prophet Isaiah would come along, and he would talk about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah fifty three five, he was pierced for our transgressions. And realize <laughs> that means I, I don't know if this has sunk into you. I hope it does. If Jesus was pierced for your transgressions, let me talk about for myself. If Jesus was pierced for my transgressions, that means that that's what I deserved. I didn't deserve to be the, the judge. I didn't deserve to be the innocent one. I deserve to be pierced through. I deserve to be killed. And I think that's the first step that we need to have to receive salvation is to recognize that we are sinners. You measure yourself against God's law, we all fall short. And it is serious. It should be conviction to realize that I deserve condemnation. For you to have it really sink into your heart that you deserve condemnation. Without Christ, each of us deserve to be pierced through. But then to be saved, you also realize that Jesus was pierced through for your sin. If you trusted Him, you know that you have someone that took what you deserve. And He was literally pierced through, He was speared the soldier that speared him through to make sure he was dead. Before that, he was pierced through with the crown of thorns. His hands and feet pierced through as he was put to the cross for our sins. Believer, for your sins. Do you believe that? Accept that you deserve what Jesus took for you. And trust that Jesus took what he took for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for recording this historical account for our instruction, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that it teaches us the seriousness of sin, not just other people's sin, but our sin as well. And it reminds us of what we deserve. Lord, we think of the sin that is in our lives and in the world. We realize that any day that we get up and look around and we see people alive, is a day that you are being merciful to us all. And Lord, while we have breath, while we have opportunity, let us turn and look to you as the one that takes the sin that we deserve. Lord, may each person here cast themselves upon you, trusting you, entering into an exclusive relationship with you, that they may be saved because Jesus Christ was pierced for their sin. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.